Welcome to the weekly message from Upper Room Community Church in Vaughan. We hope that this message will help you grow in your faith and provide practical ways to strengthen your relationships. For more information, visit us at upperroom.ca. Morning, church. Uh, my name is Martin, and I have the pleasure of reading the scripture this morning. Uh, the scripture today is found in Luke 11, 1 to 13. It is Jesus teaching his disciples about prayer. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us and lead us not into temptation. Then Jesus said to them, Suppose you have a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, Don't bother me. The door is already locked, and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up, and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or, if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Dave, and as Melissa said at the beginning of uh, the morning, uh, I am on staff here. Uh, my role is uh, I'm one of the teaching pastors, and I'm also overseeing the congregation in Bolton. And so Vijay and I uh, team preach. If you've just started coming over the course of the summer, uh, or maybe even last week was your first time, then something that might be new in terms of how we run here is that Vijay and I actually alternate preaching back and forth between the two sites. Not on the same day, thank goodness, um, but we're typically a week staggered, and so he's up in Bolton uh, with our congregation there this morning. And where I've been all summer long is uh, spending every week in Bolton, actually. So uh, there's a bit of a long story there. I can't get into all of the details. But over the course of the summer, we essentially were working through the mission, the vision, values of Upper Room Community Church. And what does it look like for this church to exist in the community of Bolton, which is about 15, 20 minutes northwest. If you're driving there, you know, in rush hour, it's like four and a half hours northwest. Um, but it, like right now, if you tried to get there, it'd be about 20 minutes. Uh, or so. And so we, we came alongside a church, we partnered with them, and actually they went through this process of, uh, of dissolving as their church and becoming part of ours, and we're really hopeful for uh, what God has uh, for us there. I would ask you to continue praying. It's never easy to do any type of multiplication, um, but the church in Bolton has undergone um, some significant challenges just in the life of their church, uh, and so we'd ask you to keep praying uh, there. So I'm glad to be back with you this morning. Um, okay, question. How many of you go to the gym? I can't actually put my hand up. I don't. 
Okay, so some of you go to the gym, some of you work out, but maybe not at the gym. You're doing like your 25 minute, whatever, beach body blast or blitz or whatever you're doing these days, I don't know. Um, I, uh, I have had a gym membership in the past. Um, so about, you know, four or five years ago, I walked into Good Life and I said, this is the time, I'm gonna get this membership. And, and when I walked in there, I got signed up and then basically they just let you loose into this big giant room full of iron and steel and cables and stuff. And I remember looking around and thinking to myself like, um, I'm sure that these machines are supposed to help me but I don't actually know how I can use any of them without maiming myself. <laughs> Have you ever had a, a thought like that? And like before this time, um, the last time I had been in a weight room was when I was in high school and I felt, even as a, gr a grown man now, uh, more awkward and more out of place and more just embarrassed being in the gym now than when I did when I was this gangly little pimple-faced teenager. Have you ever had this experience when you walk into, whether it's a gym or some other place? There's something about it that's intimidating, right? It, like everything looks different, everything feels different, everything is maybe a little bit unfamiliar. You may have watched a video on YouTube or something, uh, but then you're actually sitting in front of it and you're like, do my arms go in that or my legs or my head? I don't actually know what I'm supposed to do with this thing, right? And then on top of all that, it's not just like an empty room full of machines, right? It's actually there are people there who very clearly know what they're doing. Right? And so just by looking at them, they exude this kind of confidence, right? And even if they don't exude that confidence, they've got sweat all over the place. And you're like, man, they've earned it. They know what they're doing, right? And then some of them, you actually see their gains and you're like, that's intimidating. That for me is actually the most intimidating part. It's looking at other people who already know what they're doing, don't necessarily look like they want to help me per se, uh, but they for sure know what it is and they're, they're benefiting from it, but can I, right? So again, whether that's the gym or some other place, I think we've got some shared experiences. Now, here's the thing. I've actually felt this way for a long time about interacting with other Christian people when it comes to the topic of prayer. Now, let me clarify what I mean here. There have been people that, I, that I've met, that I've interacted with, where, and you have too, I'm sure, that when you see them, when you speak with them, you just know something is different about them. They have like this calmness, or they have this peace, or, or perhaps they have this deep wisdom, or like they're giving everything away that they own, and there's just something about them where you're like, man, you are really close to Jesus. You have to be really close to God. What, what is that going on there, right? And I, I have honestly found that intimidating even in my own life, not because I think any of these people are trying to make me feel bad, but because I've looked at them and seen this incredible life and said, how do I actually get that in my life? Like my life is crazy busy. I've got things on the go. There's things I'm probably supposed to do that I forgot about and haven't done, and I'm gonna get in trouble for that later. And yet on top of all this, I'm supposed to build some type of healthy rhythm uh, some type of routine, some type of daily practice of, you know, communing with God, getting close to God, talking to God, reading about God, whatever it might be. And so for a long time, this is all, even still to today, this has been a difficult thing in my life. It has never come easy to just build a healthy rhythm or routine of praying every day. It takes a lot of hard work. I think one of the things that contributes to this is that I, I tend to idealize things in my mind. If you, any of you have spent more than three minutes with me, you know that this is, this is true, right? I, I tend to think like, okay, well, if I'm gonna be close to God, then I have to get away from all the distraction. I've gotta be out on a mountainside or overlooking uh, the, the lake or, or maybe if like there's some, you know, maybe I could get to the ocean or whatever. I need to be out in nature because that's clearly where God is closest. You know, like hashtag Devo lifestyle with my, you 
you know, latte or something that I just got because I'm really just tricking you. I'm three minutes away from where I live. You know, like I, I always idealize this kind of thing. Or then I'll say, you know, I have to have endless amounts of Bible references in my head if I'm going to go away because I, I want to be just, just me and a pen and a paper and the Bible and I need to know where to turn depending on what the Spirit starts to say to me. But then like the pen isn't working and this notebook is all wrong and I thought the pages were perforated and I can't pull them out to tuck them in somewhere else. Maybe it's just me. But but what happens in all of this is this actually becomes this, ideali- this idealization like I can only pray if everything is perfect and what that became in my life is actually a burden. And I began to realize that I was spending more time thinking about what it would be like to pray than actually praying. Trying to make sure everything in the schedule was set apart, was set up just perfectly that I would have the time for my Lord Jesus, just you and me. But then I was burdening myself with all of these other things. And and you know, I don't think it's just me because oftentimes when I'm talking with people, and again, this is perhaps true of you, how often do you find yourself empathizing with other people who are in the midst of some type of crisis, some type of challenge that's going on in their life, and they're saying like, I wish I had been praying about this, I don't even know what to think or I don't know what to do. Because crisis or emergency or things that come into our life unannounced, that crash into our life, they tend to be the things that trigger us into prayer. Even if our only prayer is, oh my God, I don't know what to do. And that's some type of exclamation, not an expletive use of that phrase, but like an exclamation like, God, I don't even know what to think about this. Like, God, I'm in need of a job. Can you get me a job? Or God, uh, uh, my relationship is on the rocks. Can you please, by your grace, tell the other person how they need to fix their life to get everything back, on, back in check, right? Or, or God, I don't think I can handle all of this course load that I have. I'm, I know we're only three weeks into the semester and I feel like I'm drowning already. God, can you please save me from this? And so you might find yourself in a situation like that or even something else maybe, and you're asking the question like, do I even know how to pray in the middle of this? Or maybe you're saying like, is my prayer even working? Like, like how come I see these other people and when they pray, they seem to have peace. They seem to have joy. They seem to have this sense of calmness, this wisdom. I don't have that. What's the deal? Are my prayers not working? Which means, I think it begs this question. How do we get to a point in our lives where we don't find ourselves praying these emergency type kinds of prayers, but rather we're able to build in a daily rhythm, a daily routine, a regular exercise of practicing prayer? How do we get to the point in our lives where we're talking with God, we're interacting with him before the stuff happens, as opposed to screaming out for help when we're in the midst of all the stuff that's happening? Right, and like a basic silly perhaps foolish analogy, I'll let you be the judge. You know you've got to go to the dentist and you haven't been practicing proper hygiene, daily uh, oral hygiene. And so what happens? You brush like for 10 minutes that day, right? And you floss and your gums bleed a little bit even though you haven't for like three months and you're like, I wonder if they're going to notice that. From my own experience, they always notice that. And then you go to the dentist and they do their, their stuff, whatever they do. And, 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 at the, and they ask you part of the way, like, have you been brushing twice a day? three times a day, of course. Have you been flossing? Uh, Not as often as I'd like, only like three times a week, you know, after I eat corn, that's about it. You know, you just find yourself telling these lies and you're really just making excuses for something that you know you haven't been practicing. And then when they tell you you've got four cavities or need of a root canal and you need to have x-rays, you're like, I don't understand. Well, it's kind of the same thing with spiritual practices, with building in a healthy daily rhythm of 
getting into, or uh, rather practicing our, the ways that we are able to uh, be in relationship with Jesus, which is why our church, Upper Room, values this idea of apprenticing with Jesus. We want to follow him. We look to Jesus and we say, that is a picture of what I think life is supposed to be like. That's a picture of how I want my life to be. How do I get like that? And the beauty of it all is that Jesus says, well, come follow me. And as he says, come follow me, he says, come and learn from me. Let me show you what I know. Let let me teach you my ways. And when we think about apprenticing with Jesus, when we're talking about this idea of discipleship, really, what does it mean to follow Jesus? We're talking more about training than we are talking about trying. And oftentimes when it comes to spiritual practices, using prayer is the main example, because that's what we're going to go into today. We find ourselves trying to pray better, trying to pray longer, trying to use the right words. But we're saying this isn't actually about trying harder. It's about training. It's about preparing ourselves. I know discipline can kind of have like a, a bit of a dirty word, especially when it's attached to the church, you know, but, but when you look out into, you know, the Instagram world or the, the self-help world or any of these other places, that word discipline is actually a serious one. There's a guy I just started following on Instagram because I'm interested in some of his philosophical ideas. And every day he posts a picture of his watch and it's either 4.30 or like 4.32. When it's 4.30, he says, gotta get up and get at it. That's what discipline's about. When it's 4.32, he says, I failed myself today. Right? And so I think we have a little bit more grace going on here in our process of learning to apprentice with Jesus. He's not taking, Jesus isn't taking pictures of his watch and DMing you or anything like that. But there is this sense of like, what does it mean to be prepared for the things that we know inevitably will happen? For baseball team practices, they know what their schedule is. They know when they're coming against the hardest team, right? When a marathon runner trains, they know that there's going to be race day. And so they gradually build themselves up, practicing, getting themselves ready for that. Well, spiritual practices are similar. The difference is we don't know when the thing is going to hit. We just know that it will. And so we want to be prepared. And so what was read for us a few minutes ago by Martin is what's most commonly known as the Lord's Prayer. By a show of hands, is this familiar to anyone? You know, those of you who grew up in church or have been around church even for a couple years, maybe that is familiar. Uh, even if you're brand new to church, this is your first Sunday. Um, the Lord's Prayer even gets used within pop culture, right? In movies, it shows up in songs, all these kinds of places. And, and the Lord's Prayer shows up in, in the gospel messages. So at the beginning of the New Testament, which is the second half of the Christian Bible, there are these four letters that were written, and they're called Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And basically, that's very helpful because Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were four of Jesus' closest followers, and they wrote down their eyewitness accounts. What they saw him do, they made a record of that. They wrote it down so that way us, thousands of years later, after Jesus walked on earth, we can look at it and we can get a picture of what Jesus was like, who he was. And they're giving, like I said, their eyewitness accounts. Now, what's cool about it is that there's four. So sometimes these are referred to as the synoptic gospels, or we can hear, use this phrase, a harmony of the gospel. And what I like about this idea of the harmony of the gospels is because we've got four guys who are the clo- some of the closest followers of Jesus writing down their individual vantage points of the same events that took place. And so we get to say, oh, the day that Jesus prayed, it looked like this. And you have another guy over here who says, well, the day that Jesus prayed, it looked like this. And they don't contradict each other. Rather, they harmonize with each other and give us a way more fuller picture. And in this instance, Luke, the disciple, is writing down what happened the day that Jesus, one of the days when Jesus was up praying and then returns. And he says in Luke chapter 1, or Luke chapter 11, verse 1, Lord, teach us to pray. Let me tell you why I love this. I love this because it is so honest. It's so vulnerable. 
right? And that's what scripture does, is it just puts out there the truth of what these people were experiencing. It's not trying to hide this or anything of that sort. Now, now Luke actually wrote this years after Jesus had died on the cross, resurrected from the dead, and ascended into heaven. By this time, he's now an apostle. He's seen the resurrected uh, Jesus. He's now healing, participating in these healings that are taking place. And yet he still chooses to include, chooses to include this, this phrase, Lord, teach us to pray. And uh, the reason I'm belaboring this is because as a writer, he could have left that part out. And the reason he might have wanted to leave that part out is because this is actually humiliating for him. He's saying, I'm one of the people that was closest to Jesus, and yet I didn't know how to pray. And I think this is one of the things we see over and over again in the gospel letters that I think gives credibility, actually, to these letters. Because they could have left that out, just try to put a veneer, like just cover it up, get onto something else. But instead, they're willing to say, you know what, we didn't know, and so we decided to ask. And that's perhaps a question for us in the room. How many of us pretend we, ought to, we know how we should be praying. Maybe some of us do know, like we think we do know how to pray, or we do know how to pray, but we're not doing it. And yet, we're too f- proud to ask the question, would somebody please tell me how to pray? How do I look like you? How do I get that life that you have? Well, in scripture, we have that exact same question. The disciples are saying, Lord, teach us to pray. Why? They saw something in Jesus that they wanted for themselves. Jesus had endless patience and compassion for all sorts of people. Crowds were following him. He needed rest. He went days without eating, yet there he is stopping, beginning to heal people, perform miracles. And the disciples are like, how do we get there? In the midst of the most unbelievable chaos, Jesus is able to be focused. Jesus is able to to stay on task. And, And that's one of the big challenges in my life. Like, Jesus, how did you stay so on mission with everything else that was coming into your life? When people were trying to kill you, you still stayed on mission. You understood it to that point. They saw this. Like he was endlessly gracious. He had time for everyone. He was compassionate. Even when Jesus gets angry, as we read in scripture, even his anger is justified and totally different than most of the anger that we feel. It's not just an emotional response of rage. He has justified reasons. And the disciples are looking at that and they're seeing there must be a connection between Jesus's communion, connection, relationship with the Father through prayer. And we want some of that. So Jesus teaches how to pray. And so what does Jesus say? When you pray, say this. Isn't that great? Like all we have to do is ask the question and then we get the answer. Isn't that fascinating how that works? All the questions that go on unasked because we, we, we don't want to be, we don't ask a stupid question. We don't, wanna, we don't want people to think that we don't know as much as we already know. We don't want people to think that we're not as spiritually mature. We, we don't want, you know, we, so we put up a front at what cost? right? That intimacy with Jesus. And so they're willing to say this. And so in Luke's writing, he says that Jesus says, when you pray, say. In Matthew, another one of the letters where this is recorded, he says, when you pray, this then is how you should pray. And again, this is not them contradicting each other. We shouldn't get in a fight. Well, what are the exact words? Don't worry about that stuff. It's harmonizing. It's giving us the point that's there. Jesus says, okay, you want to know how to pray? This then is how you pray. Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us and lead us not into temptation. So what we're going to do is we're going to break this down line by line and then we're actually going to apply it. We're going to see how what Jesus gives us in this prayer is actually a model, a template rather, that we can use for praying through anything that we need to pray through. Okay, so Father, when we pray, 
At the beginning of our prayers, we say, Father, Heavenly Father. Now, when we, when we are going to God, we are approaching the creator of the universe, the creator of the heavens and the earth and everything in it, including you and me, the one who, as we're told in parts of, of scripture, holds it all in his hands. It's more than just a nice little friendly saying, right? When someone's graduating or going from grade six into grade seven, we say, God's got your life in its hands. Isn't that beautiful? It's actually a scriptural idea. He's holding it all together. The breath that you're breathing, all of these things are the creator of the universe is not only created, but he's sustaining it. He's keeping it all going. And yet, when we go to him in prayer, we are told by Jesus to go to him and say, Father, to approach the creator and sustainer of the universe like a child approaches their parents. And whether or not you have your own kids or you've seen other kids interacting with their parents, you get this sense that when a child comes to their parent, uh, the parent probably isn't in the best situation gonna say, again, what do you have for me now? Like, you're bothering me again? You're pestering me again? You've got another request for me? Like, can't you just make your own food and dress yourself and bring yourself to school? And can't you just do all that stuff on your own by now? Right? That's not at all because we have this loving father. And actually some commentators, uh, scholars would say that this word father, the way that Jesus was using it colloquially, colloquially, what a funny word for what it means. Complicated word to explain how people use things in regular language. In the day, that word was very, very close to the word dad or daddy. Now, other people have a real problem with that. You can't call dad daddy. That's disrespectful. But I think that misses the point. I'm okay with using this phrase dad or daddy, or maybe for you it's papa, or maybe when you connect with your parent, uh, your father, you use whatever's in your, your, your native tongue, right? Uh, you use that, that. That's a term of endearment. It's a term of intimacy. It's a term of closeness. When we go to God in prayer, we're going to the father who created us, who loves us, who is for us and not against us, Right? And um, I, I do understand at the same point that this might be difficult for some because um, you might not have a good relationship with your earthly father. And so sometimes this imagery of God as heavenly father and us as his children is broken and, and difficult because uh, you have a broken relationship with your earthly father or perhaps you have a broken relationship with your children. Right, you are the parent, the mom or the dad, and you have this broken relationship with your children, or, or maybe even uh, you, you, your kids are young and you're like trying to figure out what does it mean to be loving in every situation? What does it really mean to not be annoyed? And, and I can't get into all of this because we gotta move through the rest of it, but there is this beautiful promise that Jesus is giving us, and he's saying that this father in heaven is categorically different than any other father you've ever interacted with. I'm not gonna touch the second part of the passage, that Martin read for us when it talks about that idea of knocking on your friend's door in the middle of the night or, you know, if you, you go to your father and ask for a piece of fish, he's going to give you a snake or a scorpion or something like that. But that whole piece unpacks this idea that God is a father different than any other father and he actually says, pester me with your prayer. He loves us so much. He says, come, with me, come to me and be audacious in your prayers. Like, ask him for every single thing. Talk to him about every single thing. We will never annoy God with our prayer requests, with the things that are going on in our lives, because somehow, in his love, he cares for us more than we care about ourselves. Next line, in heaven. Right, so Matthew says, our Father in heaven. And again, I'm using both of these to give us this idea of the harmony, the fuller picture. And so what this idea here is our father in heaven is about perspective. God, you are totally, you have a completely different vantage point than I do on my life. 
You already know where I've been. You already know where I'm going. You see every single piece of this. And, and here's the simple way of making sense of this, I think. Um, there are things that come into our life. Some of the, sometimes these types of crisis, crises or, or, or challenges are minor, and yet they find a way to throw us completely off balance and impact every other part of our life. Do, do you agree with that? Now, sometimes major things come into our life, and without choice even, uh, a decision has been made that now my life is going to be different because of this thing that took place. And I would say these things mess with us, right? They get in the back of your head, you start to worry, you start to get concerned, you start to figure out what are all the, reason, what are all the things I need to do to fix this problem, to solve this problem. Here's the idea with this perspective when we pray, Our Father in heaven. None of that stuff messes with God. None of that stuff catches him off guard. None of that stuff surprises him. None of that stuff does he say, oh, I can't believe that happened. You're right. I don't know what to do in this one. None of that. And so when we pray our Father in heaven, we're not just having this, this idea of his position, because that's actually covered in the next line, but instead we're saying, God, my Father who loves me, you have a completely different perspective on life than I do. And I have a plan, and I know you have a plan. And I have an agenda, and I know you have an agenda. But I want your perspective. I'm coming to you all wise, only God, knowing that you've got the right perspective. It's not like we're going to a, a genie or a sorcerer or a tarot card reader who you've got to pay 15 bucks to to get three readings or whatever. We don't have to do any of that stuff. To, to then leave questioning whether or not the stuff they're telling us is even accurate, right? And it's not accurate. It's all lies. They're trying to make money. So anyways, when we go to him, he gives us his perspective because he's the one with the ultimate perspective. The next line. Hallowed be your name. Hallowed is this. I always think of, what's the pumpkin-headed guy on the horse? Is it Sleepy Hollow? Sleepy Hollow? Maybe it's not even the same word. It doesn't matter. But that's where my mind starts to go. And all that is to say that I think the word hallowed maybe needs a little bit of explanation. <laughs> if not for your sake, then for mine. <laughs> hallowed is like holy. Hallowed is set apart. Hallowed is different. Hallowed is not the same as anyone else. So again, Father creator, sustainer, the one who has a plan for me, who loves me. You have a perspective that's above my own, that's better than my own, and I want that perspective. I need that perspective. You, God, are holy. You, God, are set apart. You are not tricked or tempted into the things that I find myself tricked and tempted into believing. You have no sin in you. You have nothing that would leave you, lead you to evil. There's no risk of that with you because you are categorically, like undeniably, totally different. And so when we go to God, we appeal to that and we say, we know that you're different than me. That's why we're coming to you and praying to you and God's never coming to us asking us for our advice. Then it says, your kingdom come. Matthew uh, fleshes this out a little bit more. He says, your will be done um, on earth as it is in heaven. And this, like, do you see how the whole prayer is building on itself by this point? Father in heaven, you're holy, you're set apart. Um, and then your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. All of this at this point is, 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 is leaning into who God is and saying, you are God, I am not God. You have a higher perspective, I do not. You are in control, I am not in control. And so when we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, what we're saying is, God, we believe that your kingdom is coming here, that it is here, and it's actually by work of your people is already being spread out throughout all of the world, but we're saying, God, expedite that process. We're saying, God, I want to see you reigning in every kingdom or every corner of the earth. Every kingdom that has any king or queen or leader of any sort that is not following you, we want to see them brought to their knees. And you know who the first one we want to see brought to their knees is? Me. 
Because there are lots of people in charge. There are lots of people doing things that we don't like around the world. But all honestly, if we're not willing to humble ourselves before God and say, your will be done in my life, then we're missing the whole point of this prayer. We're missing the whole point of what it means to get before God and pray in such a way. You know, sometimes when we think about the, the will of God or the, you know, the sovereign hand of God, what is he in control of, what is he not in control of, we, this can be like a weighty topic. Again, for another uh, sermon series on a Sunday when Vijay's here. Um, <laughs> but I learned this past week that um, in Saudi Arabia, it's illegal to take out insurance. The reason it's illegal to take out insurance is because if you have insurance, like say you take out car insurance uh, because you want to protect yourself in the event that you get in an accident or a lot of family member gets hurt or something like that. If you take out insurance, you're basically saying to to God, uh, I don't trust your will. You're saying, I don't accept whatever you have for me, right? And so what's interesting about this, I did a little digging around, it's actually, this was a part of the Christian heritage as well, where Christians were like, whatever happens, we accept because it's from God. And so for a long time, churches didn't take out insurance on things until, get this, they started building these churches with super high steeples and crosses that were targets for lightning and they kept burning down. And then the Christians were like, well, I don't think God's will is just burn down all these churches or whatever's happening in the brokenness of, natu- of the natural things out there in the environment, right? Interesting, right? And so that's not a mockery. I'm not trying to mock anybody in Saudi Arabia or anything like that. But sometimes we have this defeatist, like uh, broken view of what it is, like a, a fatalist view of what the will of God is. Like, God, your will be done. And whatever it is, I'm just going to suck it up and deal with it. It's not what we're praying here. What we're praying here is we're saying, God, I know that you've got a plan. I know that you've got a will. I have an agenda. You have an agenda. If it means that my agenda needs to be thrown out all completely, then absolutely, God, I'm, I'm, I'm submitting myself to you to do that. But Lord, I want to have the desires, the desires of my heart. I want them to be like the desires of your heart. So really we're praying your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, starting with me, align my will to yours. That's one of the hardest points on this whole list to pray. And that actually, I think, is like the foundational piece of all of this. You can say, God, you're in heaven. God, you've got a perspective like anyone else. Or, sorry, like, unlike anyone else. God, you are, you are all powerful. You hold it all together in your hands. You are all these kinds of things, but I'm still going to do my own thing. Some of us, some of you, are still saying, I, I'm, I, I, I sing these songs where I praise God and say all these nice things about him, but I don't actually want to live my life like it makes any difference. This becomes the hinge that changes all of that continues on and he says give us each day our daily bread in in the ancient world bread was the most basic the most basic of necessity where am I going to get my fill for the day where am I going to get my food for the day and the truth of the matter is there are people in the greater Toronto area who might be asking this very same question today bread becomes the most basic necessity that we need And so it's saying God, and and again, here's another one of these colloquial words. The way that the word daily is used here, um, some would say that this actually means tomorrow's bread or or the future's bread. So the idea here, God, God provide for me everything that I need. Take care of me. Need is the key word. Not everything that I want. Give me what I need. And, and the other awesome uh, thing that I think is going on here is we've got this bread, so we've got this physical thing, but the, the, the idea of bread is also used throughout all of Scripture to give us this, pric- this picture of, of um, spiritual nourishment as well. And so we're saying, uh, God, I want to trust in you and rely on you for everything. There's no amount of money I could make that would satisfy me uh, more you know, than, than the simplicity of what, of what you can give me knowing that it comes from you and you alone. I don't want to have it all if I don't have you is what we're praying is what we're praying here. 
I'm okay with whatever it is you're gonna give me. Provide for me my most basic need, the food that I have nourishment, but also the spiritual thing. God, you are enough in what you provide for me physically. You are enough for what you offer me spiritually. I'm not gonna go to Oprah. I'm not gonna go to Chakra. I'm not gonna go to all these other places. Instead, it's just you, God. Whatever you have for me, that's what I want, a prayer of submission. And then it says, forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And again, we've got this idea moving through the whole prayer. God, you are God unlike anyone else, right? Your perspective, your plan, I submit to you because I'm saying your will be done on earth, not my will be done on earth. And then there's this change, Lord, now we'll, now I can get to the stuff. So I think even in our prayer, we don't go straight to our needs. We go straight to who he is, the one who can take care of us, the one who actually has the answers. Most of the time we jump right into our needs. Oh Lord, what do I do? Right? Give me this, give me that, take this away. But it's building on, and then it gets to this thing where now it's like, okay, us, God to us, us to God, us to people. See all this is all working in that prayer and it's all working out of this prayer. And when we pray, we ought to repent. We ought to confess. We ought to come before him and say, you are this holy God who's got a plan and, and I'm this not holy person who's trying to figure out life and I believe that, that you've saved me and I believe that I, I, you know, I am who you say that I am. I'm chosen, I'm not forsaken. You're never gonna turn your back on me but there's still stuff in my life that I'm working through, God. Would you forgive me of that, please, by your grace, by your love? And then it's, and this is the part that maybe we get confused on. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive those who sin against us. This is not instruction to get before God and say, listen, God, I'm gonna make you a deal. I promise I will forgive all the other people because you forgive me, or if you forgive me. But if you don't forgive me, then that's your problem, man. Right? What's being said here is, God, I recognize that when I come to you for forgiveness, for grace, actually it says in another part of scripture that we can come with boldness before the throne of God and receive mercy and grace in our deepest time of need, right? That's, there's that audacity, there's that pestering in our deepest time of need, right? Um, and so it's saying, God, I believe that I am who you say I am, that I am forgiven. What choice do I have other than forgiving other people then? How could I be forgiven or met with grace or met with love and then not extend that to somebody else? This is now getting us to start thinking about what does it mean when we, when we connect with others? And then lead us not into temptation. Matthew includes here, but deliver us from the evil one. Now again, there is another part in scripture, Jesus' brother James, he actually writes in his letter that um, God does not tempt anyone, right? He can't, he's not evil, God is not evil, so he can't tempt anyone with evil. So we're not saying, God, uh, I, there's all this stuff that you're in control of and I feel like some of the stuff might be good and you might be also leading me into something bad, so don't do that, please. That's not it. Instead, it's saying, God, deliver us from the, from the temptations of the world. Protect us. Keep me seeing clearly in the midst of all the fog, in the midst of all the difficulty, all, all the challenges that are going on around me and in my world. Keep me uh, from that temptation. Or, or when I'm in that temptation, God, help me not to succumb to it, to not fall into it, to not do that thing that I know I don't want to do, that you've told me not to do. So Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us, and lead us all, uh, lead us not into temptation. Yikes. And lead us not into temptation. That's why we put it up there. Okay, here's the question that we're going to ask now. Is it good enough? Is the idea, Jesus is saying as his apprentice, as his apprentices, right? He's teaching us how to pray. Is he saying, all you need to do is pray this 
read these words or get to the point where you memorize them and just say them out loud verbatim and that's all you need to do. Is that what he's saying or is it not what he's saying? Well, two things, I'll, uh, two things I want to b- talk about. One thing is that we talk about this being the Lord's prayer, not because it's a prayer the Lord needs to pray, but it's a prayer that the Lord gave. We know that Jesus doesn't need to pray this because it asks f- to, f- to pray for the forgiveness of sins and Jesus is blameless. No sin, never went against God ever. So there's, there's that. This is actually the, the, the disciples' prayer, the followers' prayer, the apprentices' prayer. I think it's okay to say that, okay? I'm not gonna call up Zondervan and start a fight with them for putting it as a subtitle because I don't have time for any of that. But that's the idea. This is what the, what the followers pray. Okay, the second thing is, I don't think we're supposed to pray these exact words. If you have a habit of reciting this, that's fine. I'm not trying to tell you you don't have to do that. that that's fine. But see how it's, when you flesh it out, there's so much more behind it. And I actually think we can use it as a template or a model. And so you should be seeing this on the screen, um, this chart, this idea of Father. What is it saying to us? Father, when we say Father, we're saying, we're asking ourselves in our prayer the question, who are you and who am I? You are God, I'm not God. In heaven, okay, God, you have perspective that I don't have. I need your perspective. Hallowed be your name. You are perfect. I am not perfect. What, and then the rest of whatever you'd fill in your prayer there, right? Your kingdom come, your will be done. I, you have a plan. I have a plan. Your plan is better. I want to be, I want your plan. Give us each day our daily bread. I need you for everything. It's not, God, I know where to get my bread because I've got everything. Like, it's, it's, it's about everything. The most basic necessities. Everything, right? It's not, I need you to provide this one thing for me, but I got all this other stuff under control. It's 100% or it's nothing. Do you need him for everything? Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. This is saying, I need your grace. And, and protect us from the evil one. Lead us not into temptation. It's saying, I need your rescue. It's a prayer of submission. It's a template for us to pray anything. And if you could just leave that up on the screen for a minute, um, I'll give, we'll do two things. I'll give one example of how you could use this as a template for praying through, uh, a, I just thought of you know, someone who's looking for a job, okay? Simple thing, that's not everyone in the room, but it's one thing that somebody probably is. And then we'll take two or three minutes and we'll just be in silence and you can pray on your own for the thing that you're going through in your life to practice this prayer, okay? Okay, so if we're looking for a job, Right, we're praying something like, not again, not verbatim, this is the model. You are my loving father and I can come to you with everything. I'm in search of a job and I know you care about this need in my life. Perspective, number two, you have the full perspective on things and you know what's best for me. You know what the best job opportunity would be for me. Father, you know that I'm looking for a job in such and such a field, whatever it might be. You know, I want to be a, I don't know, dental hygienist. You know that I'm looking for a job and that I would love something that's close to home. God, you know that I would like something that, that, that has decent hours, that has um, reasonable benefits, you know, uh, good benefits. Um, and so you know that that's like my plan. That's my agenda. That's my dream. But I want my hopes and dreams to actually line up with yours. So if it's, if it's this office or that office in this part of town where I'm supposed to move or it's not going to be full-time right away, it's going to be part-time and having to go to two clinics, God, you, you know what I'm looking for and you know what it, what it looks like. And so God, just help me to figure this out. Help me to be at peace. Align me to that. The next one would be, Father, I believe that I need you for my daily needs and that only you can provide for me. You can provide for me in ways, more ways than any job or amount of money ever could. So God, help me to trust in you 
above trusting in my profession. God, help me to remember that you provide my every need and it's not how good my job is. It's not how much money that comes in. It's, it's all you. I could have nothing or I could have a million dollars. It's still, I only want to rely on you first and foremost. Forgive me of my rebellion that may be setting me back. God, maybe there's jealous or jealousy in my life or pride that's making me want a job that I shouldn't actually go for. So God, if that's like blinding me and that's holding me back from, from getting this job, then God, forgive me of that, right? Um, God, maybe the sin is that, uh, that I need forgiveness of is that I have looked to the world and I've seen the successes of the world and I, I, I think I should be making this amount of money and I should have this pension plan and I should have these benefits and I think like I won't even make it until I have that. God, the prayer is forgive me for my sin of finding my identity in the world and not my identity in who you say I am. Protect me from believing that the grass is greener on the other side, that I won't be able to make it, that I'll have no value until I get my dream job. God, protect me from that temptation. Help me to resist the temptation to once I get a job, this job that I want or some other job, help me to resist the temptation to take on more hours at the expense of developing a regular practice of spiritual rhythm with you. Okay, see how we can unpack it? See how we can apply it? So I'm gonna invite the worship team to come. And as they're coming and getting set up, they're gonna start to play a little in the background. We're just gonna leave that up. And, and, and what's going on in your life? Is it a relationship? Is it a, is it a job? Is it school? Is it parenting? Is it, is it um, financial worries? Is it a, a problem that you caused in your life? Um, maybe in this moment you don't have something immediately that comes to mind that you need to be praying for for yourself, but you have someone else in mind. This prayer model that Jesus gives us is not just how we pray for ourselves, it actually can be used for intercessory prayer, praying on, the, on behalf of other people, for the needs of other people. And so uh, we'll just take a few minutes, I'm gonna go silent, uh, pray through this, and then I'll conclude with prayer before the team leads us in a song.